Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this, the high noon of season five, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every goddamn page of MT2, the Weird Weird West, the second in a trio of time travel adventures for TSR's Marvel Superheroes RPG. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Weird Weird West was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page two of The Weird Weird West. This page begins the introduction, which is going to ease us into the setting of this adventure, uh, or at least the location that the author, I guess, thought was going to be the setting of this adventure. It's very immersive, locates you firmly in time, place, and genre. So I'm just going to read it to you. Sit back, close your eyes, not if you're driving. Just sit back, imagine a tumbleweed meandering its way down a dusty main street, and let the author carry you away. Quote, Dodge City, Kansas. The year is 1871. At noon, the stage from St. Louis arrives with a typical complement of passengers. A notorious gunfighter who hopes to find peace in Dodge and a place to settle down. A rich cattle baron who is stopping off as a part of a return trip from a business venture in the east. A delicate and beautiful belle who is here to make amends with her rich uncle. And a middle-aged southern widow who hopes that the change of scenery will help her build a new life in the wake of her husband's death. The thunder of the horses that bring the noon stage into Dodge City signals a throng of townsfolk to assemble in its wake, but it isn't really the thought of visitors that pulls the westerners away from their daily activities. The noon stage also carries mail, parcels, and news from the big cities back east. Did you think we were done with highly specific throwaway NPCs we'll never talk about again? You were wrong. Quote, Henry, the saloon keeper, rushes out to meet the stage, hoping to find a letter from his gal Sally in Philadelphia. Sheriff Clemens meets the stage looking for the latest wanted posters from the federal authorities. Twelve-year-old Ernie Caulfield meets the stage on a mission from his mama, looking for a package from relatives in Chicago. Nothing special. The noon stage arrives almost every day. It's just a typical summer afternoon in Dodge City. But then something happens that cuts right through the piece of the daily routine. Something unexpected. Something extraordinary. Something weird. All of this is weird. All of this is highly unusual, because Dodge City wasn't founded until 1872. So I don't know where this kid Ernie came from, or where he thinks his mama is, but but 1871, there's like one building here. It may seem like I'm being nitpicky here, but first of all, as you're going to see throughout this book, the author uh, serves as a kind of proctor of an impromptu history exam, demanding that we, the players, correctly answer history questions in order to navigate the story. It's some real bullshit. We'll talk about it soon. But it strikes me as as funny and frustrating that as much as this book is needling the players about knowing their history, the very first thing in this book, Dodge City, Kansas, the year is 1871, is wrong. And Dodge City is where the adventure is set, kind of. It all happens in the vicinity of Dodge City, but as the story proceeds, you're going to see that I think the author is more enamored of the idea of Dodge City than actually playing it or doing anything in Dodge City, which is really too bad. I'm not the biggest Western fan, but just as with uh, Hollywood World War II action war stories, you know, like we got in all this in World War II, it's a genre that we all know and can slip into. You can do pastiche in a time travel story, and being superheroes in Dodge City sounds fun. I'll say, though, what's on this page is not just pastiche. This scene setting that the author is doing here in this passage, it's kind of about Dodge City, but it's more about these highly individual characters. I mean, I grant you, the notorious gunfighter hoping to find peace... Okay, that's a stock character. Likewise, the cattle baron coming back from the east, the beautiful bell. When we get to the part about the noon stage into Dodge City bringing the mail and the, quote, throng of townsfolk come out to the stage, 
which even if this were a couple years later, I'm dubious that the people of Dodge City could even form a throng. Looking at Wikipedia here, the slow growth of Dodge City around this time seems like it's because of the gradual elimination of other cow towns from cattle trade routes. I'm not an expert, but it looks here like it's probably at least six or seven years out that Dodge City becomes a big deal. But that's reality. In this version of Dodge City, which not only existed, but was filled with a throng of colorful NPCs in 1871, we've got Henry the Saloon Keeper, who has a gal named Sally back in Philadelphia. We've got Sheriff Clemens, who's eagerly awaiting wanted posters. And Ernie Caulfield, who is a 12-year-old boy who's been sent by his mother to pick up a package sent by relatives in Chicago. This is extremely specific. Particularly the name Ernie Caulfield seems so specific to me that I just had to look it up. And here's the thing, I don't know if I've sufficiently conveyed over the course of this season, but it's a very big part of my prep experience. This author, Ray Winninger, he really pulls in a lot of references, which he then just kind of throws away. They're understated, they're subtle, they're, they're diffuse. It's not like he drops a name and then it's like, oh yeah, this is totally this character from this book or this movie. It's that like part of a name will be carried over from some real life person who has something to do with the story. These are kind of references, but they're kind of like pulling names for your NPCs from the phone book or like looking around the room and taking bits of names from books on your bookshelf. Because it's so subtle and so hazy, I can never tell when I'm just imagining something or when the author accidentally just had a name or an idea come to mind that he had seen somewhere and then forgotten about, or when it's a deliberate reference. Ernie Caulfield here is a great example. But regardless of whether it is anything, regardless of whether it's intentional, it really was decisive about my frame of mind about this version of Dodge City, so I want to share it with you. So first of all, if you do a Google search for Ernie Caulfield, what you're going to find is a lot of stuff about a book called Hiding the Moon. Based on the short description of that book, it appears to be a gay romance novel featuring a psychic and a hitman, possibly a crossover between two different book series. I would have been delighted to find that that was the reference, but that book was published in 2018, and the book isn't in the Old West, so you can't even headcanon that these are the same characters. I did check into a Catcher in the Rye connection here with the last name Caulfield. It wasn't an exhaustive search, but I didn't see anything. The only Ernie Caulfield I could find, other than the psychic who falls in love with the assassin in Hiding the Moon, is a character who appeared exactly twice on the television show Petticoat Junction as the Justice of the Peace in Hooterville. The character was played by Jim Hayward, who had a ton of Western credits. But Petticoat Junction, if you're not familiar, was not a Western. It's a sitcom, one of a, a cluster of sitcoms, set in what I will call, for lack of a better term, the Hooterverse. Petticoat Junction is a show about this little kind of podunk town, and the opening has these three beautiful sisters like swimming, maybe skinny dipping, in the water tank. Which is sexy the first time you see it, but you know if you live in town, at a certain point it stops being titillating and it's like, I can no longer ignore that I'm drinking these women. Uh, there's this hotel, the Shady Rest Hotel. The three women who swim in the water tank are the daughters of the woman who runs the hotel. And connected to the welfare of the Shady Rest Hotel is the Hooterville Cannonball, uh, which is a steam train from the 1890s. And this show is presumably set in the 60s, but the train is from the 1890s and it's kind of barely running. Like it mentions on the Wikipedia page here that like sometimes the train would make an unscheduled stop for the engineer to go fishing. And this train is on this track that was like cut off from the rest of the rail system by some kind of project decades back in the backstory of the show. This show has a backstory. Petticoat Junction is strangely complicated. But anyway, so now like the train's cut off and it's just this train in isolation doing random errands for the engineers who are like maybe retired but still run the train. Hooterville itself 
It's like a running thing that we don't know where Hooterville is. There have been fan efforts to place Hooterville precisely, of course there have, and there are definite like states where it can't be. There's all kinds of deduction that's gone on. But the overall vibe, especially because at a certain point characters like change their personalities or are just replaced by new people who live in Hooterville, it's this place that is out of space and time. It's just like an old-timey remnant of just kind of floating free in the vast out-of-touch spaces of rural 1960s America. And the show shares a continuity with Green Acres for sure. And then Green Acres also crosses over with Beverly Hillbillies, but Beverly Hillbillies seems to be fictional relative to Petticoat Junction. Anyway, Hooterville is this place, it's like uh, the Springfield of The Simpsons. It's just kind of a crystallized cultural moment that no matter where you place it in time, it's just like the kind of people we're familiar with from a certain worldview almost, just living in a town together that is unmoored from all true topical connections. Like something can happen on The Simpsons that references the current decade. I mean, presumably, like everyone, I'm unfamiliar with the current episodes of The Simpsons, but it doesn't matter. Like the topical references don't matter. Springfield is just Springfield. I wouldn't be surprised if the author of this book watched a lot of Westerns, kind of got enamored with a lot of Western character actors, maybe watched some old-timey shows about, like, small towns, trains, just rural American stuff. I don't know if the author either consciously or subconsciously took the name Ernie Caulfield from the Justice of the Peace of Hooterville, but I choose to see the Dodge City of this book as kind of a Hooterville. Just as the location of Hooterville, you know, we get all these contradictory clues, no place exactly fits. It's not really that this Dodge City is in 1871. That's one statement that we're given, but it's self-contradictory. There is no Dodge City in 1871, and there certainly wasn't a throng of people running to see the Daily Mail coach come in to deliver packages from the East to Dodge City. This isn't Dodge City. This is Hollywood Western Town, and it is inhabited, one might even say overpopulated, by Hollywood Western people. I'm going to guess there are at least five people in this town who've been deputized as sheriff when the previous five sheriffs were killed or fled. This town's got to be being terrorized by 10, maybe a dozen no-good gangs with hideouts out in the hills. Ernie Caulfield's going to be one of a, a score or more of cherubic children caught in the middle of all this Old West violence. Probably eight or nine saloons, flocks and flocks of soiled doves just infesting the city. And I do mean city. They probably need a full-on traffic engineer to manage all the barren, dusty roads, crisscrossing the sprawling landscape of Dodge City in 1871, a year before its foundation. The dumbest thing on this page is simply the historical inaccuracy, especially in a book that is going to demand historical knowledge from the players and quiz them. But I have to say that I like where we landed on Dodge City as this ridiculously overstuffed Hollywood Western town, just brimful with any stereotypical Western character you would hope to find and you're going to be able to get involved in their Old West shenanigans. If the judge can move beyond the time travel thing and get to telling a Western story, which the author of this module definitely cannot. Join me next time to talk about a lot of complicated temporal mechanics when we could be talking about cowboys on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's theme music, used under Creative Commons license, is Western Firefight 2 by Kulla, whose work you can find at kulla.com. 
That's C-U-L-L-A-H.com. Thanks for listening.